better way to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the greatest gift of all? church how's everybody doing today come on so good to be here so good to have you guys with us um god is doing awesome things amen Amen. hey how many of you know um maybe you don't know i'm here to tell you today that when you become a christian the trials don't stop right the trials don't go away just because you said a prayer the trials don't uh, stop coming just because um, you've de- dedicated your life to following the Lord. But what happens is you change in the midst of the trial, right? Your reaction, the way you encounter the trial, your, um, the way that you behave through the trial, hopefully that changes. And this is what the import of James 1, 2 says. Consider it pure joy when you fall into various trials. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say might. He said, you will. You're going to experience things. We live in a fallen world. There's sin. People are out there, and they are sinning, and their sin not only affects them, it affects me. We live in a world where there's moth and rust and decay. Everything that we have, it's all going to break down, and it does. This is the world that we live in. The kingdom of God is here in part, but not fully. And so we live in this this moment of time where the kingdom of heaven has been established upon the earth, but it's not been perfected in the earth, and the kingdom of darkness is still here. And so the two are battling at all times, and this is the world that we find ourselves in. And so we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. Pastor Tom told you last Sunday... We had a little bit of uh, events in our travels. It was supposed to be a 12-hour travel day. We were supposed to be 12, maybe 13 hours of travel from here to get to California. To get to our hotel in California it turned into a 26-hour travel day. 26-hour travel day. We had a 12-hour delay in Midway because of fog. Because of fog. 12-hour delay, and then they had to reroute our flight, and then we had another, you know, two flights. Because of that, we got there, right? We made it, and thank God for the church that prayed us there, right? Amen. But then we had another trial on our way home. Yeah, so because of they had to book and rebook and rebook our flights five times because of the fog in Midway on our way out, our early bird check-in didn't get approved on the way home, so they gave us, like, C-35. We, we weren't even going to make the plane. Like, we were the last ones on. <laughs> what? The whole point, my whole point is that trials come so that the next time you get another trial, you can react. You have an opportunity to now. You can react. Now you get another trial. You get the same trial again. Now you can react differently. Are we reacting differently? What's our reaction when the trials come? The trials, consider it pure joy when you come into various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, 
perseverance must have its full work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, God wants to mature us in our faith. And so trials come because we live in a fallen world, but we deal with trials because God wants to mature us. He wants us to grow. How many of you want your faith to grow? I better see every hand in the room up. Who wants your faith to grow? Put your hand up. (laughs) Lord. There's only one way that your faith grows. Through the testing. Through the trials. Through the tribulation. Glory to God. It's a wonderful process. But the promise is the exchange rate of heaven. Over the summer, we, uh, I had uh, the, pl- the privilege of doing a wedding in Cartagena, Colombia, South America. It was cool. So the first thing you do when you get off the plane, right? Debbie and Ron know this because they were there. And the first thing you do is when you get off the plane is you go to the, to the window there, the currency exchange, and you give them your green dollars, right? We give them our green money. And what do they do? They take it and they give you something else back. And it's a different color. It's not green. It was like white with a little blue in it maybe or pink, I think. And I gave them, I don't remember, but like for $100 or maybe it was $200, they gave me a million of whatever their currency is. I forget what the name, what's it called? Pesos? Specific Colombian pesos, different than Mexican pesos. Yeah. So there's an exchange rate. You give them what you have, and you get what they have. Because when you're there in Colombia, not everyone accepts green American dollars. And it's very difficult to figure out the exchange rate in a moment while you're on the street. Some people will. Some people won't. So you want to have the Colombian pesos in your hand. Heaven is the same way. There's an exchange rate. We bring our ashes, and he gives us beauty. We bring our mourning, and he gives us joy. We bring our heaviness, and he gives us the garment of praise. But how many of you know, I've got to let go of that dollar. I've got to to let go of that dollar. I've got to push it across the counter and let them take it before they're going to give me the other ones back. I don't get to have my dollar and the peso. It doesn't work that way. I've got to give away my dollar so that I can get the peso. I've got to give away my ashes so that I can get the beauty. So these are the moments of worship. These are the moments of invitation to come and to lay your ashes to lay that thing, to lay that trial, to say, God, I don't know why this is going on. God, I don't know how all this is working out, but I trust you because I know that you're a good God. I know that you're good. God, I lay it at your feet and I receive the joy for the morning. I receive the beauty for the ashes. I receive the garment of praise for this heaviness that I'm feeling for this heaviness that I can't shake. And he's faithful. He'll always, he'll always meet you there. He'll always meet you there. Jesus. He'll always meet you there. He wants to meet you there. See, 
when we go on a, they call it a walk of faith because it's not about the destination. It's not about the destination. We go on vacation or we go traveling, right? How was it? It was great. We got there. It was great. Jesus isn't concerned at all about where we're going. It's, it's about the, the, the journey. It's about the, the, the walk while we're going. It's really just about the walk. When we would drive to Florida, when the kids were smaller, we took them to Florida. Um, we would drive, and it was usually two 12-hour days, very long car trip. The journey became something to be enjoyed. I know, 24 hours in a car seems like, somebody help me. But it became something to be enjoyed. We, we found um, audiobooks, and we found different ways. We actually pulled into a, a rest stop one time. We're like, okay, time for, time for a break. So we pull into the rest stop, and we had the audiobook going. And we all sat in the car with the vehicle stopped for about 10 minutes. We could have gotten out. We'd been traveling for a couple hours. My butt was really sore. But I wanted to hear the end of the story. Right? I, I wanted to finish where we were at. And so you find ways to just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. All right, come on. Let's go. God is good, amen? God is good, amen? Hey, if there's any area of your life where you don't believe that God is good, you'll have trouble with faith in that area. If there's any area of, of your life where you don't believe that God is good, you will have trouble with faith in that area. You can't have faith someplace where, God, where you don't believe that God is good. Walk across the room. We're going to keep moving here. Uh, we've got just a couple more chapters left. How many of you have been enjoying the book so far? This has been good. Um, hey, next week is Thanksgiving, right? Next week we're going to be talking about being thankful. We're actually going to suspend our groups for the week of Thanksgiving. This week we have groups. Next week, the week of Thanksgiving, they'll be suspended for the week. We encourage you guys to all just go ahead and do your family thing and you know, maybe, maybe pray about who you're going to invite to, to uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, we've got a full house, at our, we've got a full table at our house this year. Um, when you're at family dinner, because it's coming, right, Thanksgiving's coming, it's on the calendar, it's on the map, you're going to gather, holiday season's coming, begin to think right now about walking across the room in any of those situations. Right? We've got all of these family gatherings. We've got all of these family functions. Maybe you've got a Christmas business party. We've got all these get-togethers coming up for the holidays. Begin right now to prepare yourself. You guys all know what's coming. You've got it on your calendar already probably. Begin to prepare yourself for those times, whether it's family, business, whatever it is. Begin to prepare yourself for those times where you're going to be in a group of people and say, God, guide me. Who am I going to walk across the room to? Begin to prepare yourself now. Today's title is, is right from the chapter. It's called Lessons from the Master. And so Jesus has keys to sharing the gospel, believe it or not. He has keys to sharing the gospel all throughout the scriptures. Today we're going to look at John chapter 4, and let's talk about this. We'll jump right in. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. 
He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. We're going to read all the way through verse 42, so we've got a lot of scripture to read today. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. So the truth of the matter is, is that he did not need to go to, through Samaria. He didn't need to go through. If you've seen the, the movie, The Chosen, they kind of do a, a pretty good job of talking about it in that um, episode there with the woman at the well. They're approaching the city, and Peter says to Jesus, we're not going to go through that city. We'll take the other way. And, and Jesus says, no, we're going this way. Right? There was another path. That would be like, that would be like me saying, uh, for me to get home, I've got to go through Waterford. Well, no, that's just one option, right? Jesus didn't need to go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, Jews didn't go through Samaria. They had a special road around Samaria so that they could avoid the city altogether because they, they didn't want to be in contact with those people. They didn't want to see those people. And they do a really good job of this in that episode of The Chosen. He didn't need to go through Samaria, but he knew that there was somebody there. He took a walk across the room and he put himself in what was against the religious norms of the day to say, hey, this is where we're going to find fruit. As a matter of fact, this is where it's all going to start. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Here's a really interesting conversation starter. Jesus says, hey, give me a drink. That's unusual. It gets more unusual, we'll see. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink? A Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus starts out with this very simple, very natural request. Hey, give me a drink of water. Hey, can you get me a drink of water? It's just simple, right? Sometimes our interactions with other people can start out really simple. Obviously, Jesus is prodding at something here. Number one, he's Jew. She's Samaritan. So they don't have any dealings with one another. He's a man. She's a woman. In Jewish culture, they wouldn't talk with one another like this in the public. So he's crossing all of these norms, and then he's doing something really simple. Hey, can I get a drink? But he's crossing all of these barriers. He's a Jew and Samaritan, man and woman. He's breaking it all down, and he's saying like, hey, I'm willing to have a conversation. Are you? I'm willing to have a conversation. Are you? And so sometimes when we get into these situations where we're meeting someone, one of the best things that we can do is just start asking, asking questions. Asking questions is a wonderful way. He says, give me a drink. I'm going to say that he actually asked for a drink. May I please have a drink? 
right? He asked a question. Asking a question is a great way to determine where someone is at. Can I have a drink? No. And they walk away. Okay. There's not an open door there. <laughs> okay. There's not an open door there. Bye-bye. <laughs> Ask the question. Take the temperature. Find out whether or not the person that you are with is open to conversation. Clearly she was. He asks if she was truly not open, she would have just ran away. What is this Jewish person, what is this Jewish man talking to me, a Samaritan woman for? She would have left her water pot and ran away just because she was scared, just because this, this is not right. This shouldn't be being done. But none of, that stuff caught, none of that stuff got in her way. We're about to find out why none of that stuff really mattered to her. And so she questions him about it. She just calls him right out. What are you doing? What are you even doing? You shouldn't be talking to me at all. How you're Jew, I'm Samaritan. You're a man, I'm a woman. Why are we? Why are we talking? Why are we doing this? Jesus doesn't get upset with her saying like, "What's going on here?" He realizes, "Oh, she's open. She gets some of this stuff. Let's go a little bit more, right?" Hey. If you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked me for a drink, and I would have given you the water that's truly going to satisfy your soul. What? So now, now that he understands he's got this open door, right? He asked the one question, can I have a drink? She's like, listen, I don't know who you think you are. We shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be talking to me here like this. Jesus is like, there's an open door. I'm going to go, hey, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for living water. And so now he's beginning to present the gospel, if you will. He's beginning to show her who he is and what it is that he brings to the table here and why this conversation that she's about to have is so important. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. He said, I'd give, I'm going to give you living water. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. She immediately goes into the natural. I'm going to give you living water. She's thinking, you can get living water from the same well that I'm getting regular water from? You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, pointing to the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain in him, springing up into everlasting life. And so Jesus is beginning to set the dichotomy here. Yes, you have water, but that's not at all what I'm talking about. You're drinking in this water but I've got water for you that would satisfy your soul. It, would, it, it just starts on the inside and it just bubbles up out of you. And there is just no end to the water that comes when you take a drink from the water that I have. Are we drinking from the water that Jesus has this morning? When was the last time you took a, a good glass 
of the living water of Jesus and just drank it. Sometimes we need to refresh ourselves in the Lord. We need to refresh ourselves in the Lord. Even me, even me, I need refreshing. I don't know. I mean, you know, you see me up here all the time, and maybe you think that I don't ever need refreshing. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, I need refreshing. I need a fresh drink. I'll take another drink. I'll take another drink. Does anybody want a drink? I'll take another drink. And it shall become a fountain of living water. The woman says, sir, give me this water. This is like, okay, okay. Even if it's just selfish motives. She's like, okay, I'll take your water. Can I have your water? I know I didn't ask for it before, but can I have your water? How do I get your water? How do I get it? Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. I'm telling you what, it's a lot of work to come to this well every day and to, you know, throw my bucket down. And I can't come in the morning with the rest of the ladies because I'm an outcast. I got to come at noontime, midday, when it's really hot. And I don't want to do this. How do I get your living water? I'll take it. Sign me up. (laughs) Now Jesus throws in a, a little you know, monkey wrench. These are all awesome tactics that Jesus is using. Then he just throws a little monkey wrench in here. He says, go and call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus answered her and said, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truthfully. Look at what Jesus is doing here. He calls her out on what he knows that she's doing wrong. And then when she answers, she answers truthfully in that she didn't lie about it, right? She said, well, I have no husband. She wasn't, she wasn't lying. She didn't say, well, I've had five husbands. She didn't say, well, yeah, I'm sleeping with somebody, but he's not really my husband. He, she just... She, she kind of just bent the truth a little bit. And Jesus actually says, okay. He doesn't continue to call her out. I mean, he calls her out in the fact that he tells her everything of her history. But he's like, hey, you actually told me the truth. You didn't lie. I mean, you weren't completely honest, but you didn't lie. I think Jesus is really um, searching here. He says, the last words here in the frame, it says, in that you spoke truly. He's looking for something to give her a compliment on. She's been married five times. She's living with somebody. She's not married now. I mean, there's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of stuff here where, he could, where Jesus could just be beating her up about her lifestyle. He chooses not to do that. Instead, he chooses to say, Oh, look, you didn't lie. You actually told me the truth in a sort of kind of way. (laughs) I think he's reaching here. Was she really telling the truth? The bigger question here is, how did Jesus know? See, these are the questions that I ask. How did he know? I know that he knows all things. 
I know that God knows all things. But Jesus, when he walked the earth, didn't use his divine powers. So how did he know? Was it a word of knowledge? Could have been. Could have been. Could have been a word of knowledge. Just fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit just starts whispering things to him. Right? And so this is what we need to be aware of when we're sharing the gospel with somebody. We need to be aware of the Holy Spirit. What might the Holy Spirit say to me that I need to say to somebody else? Be ready. Be aware for... This is why we train on a Wednesday night, guys. This is why I want you to be uh, open and listening to words of knowledge and words of wisdom. We had a word of knowledge on, on Wednesday for a nose. It was Blaze. Blaze came up. We prayed. His nose is healed. God doesn't give words of knowledge because they're fun. He gives them because he wants to accomplish something. Here on Wednesday night, it was because he wanted him healed. Here in the text, it was because Jesus wanted this woman to believe, to, to know. And so God imparts, the Holy Spirit imparts divine wisdom, divine knowledge to Jesus so that he can share with her, so that she can be amazed. We all have access to this knowledge. We all have access to this wisdom of God. But we need to train ourselves to be able to walk in it, to be able to use it. Wednesday night's the training ground. This, come out, practice, give it a shot. You know, if you think God's telling you something, psh, go for it. What's the worst that you're going to do? Get wet? I mean, you won't. Here, there's no water. But that, it's, a, it's, it's an analogy. Come on. Get out of the boat. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Just go for it. This is the safest place you'll ever find. Because if you go for it and you mess completely, no big deal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, there was uh, another word of knowledge that came on Wednesday for gas station. And nobody immediately came up for that. But two people came up afterwards with gas station stories. Praise God. I had my first word of wisdom that I know of. Uh, recently. And I just want to share that with you uh, in, the, in the fact that God is still moving, God is doing more and more, and we need to be aware and ready to move with the Holy Spirit at all times. Word of knowledge and a word of wisdom differ in, in that a word of knowledge, you find out something that you have no way of knowing, right? That's a word of knowledge. A word of wisdom is specific instruction of what you're to do, usually more uh, geared toward doing certain things. It's more instructional, word of wisdom. So Jesus, I believe, uses a word of knowledge here, word of wisdom possibly, by the, the, the Holy Spirit to be able to show his divine authority to her. The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, our, and then she has a question. So she's impressed. Jesus uses this word of knowledge, I'm going to say. Tells her everything that she's ever done. She's impressed. She says, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Now she's got a question. Our father, immediately there's a question. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And so she finally figures out, okay, this guy knows God. I've got a question. This is going to happen. 
This is going to happen. So be ready for questions. When you begin to talk to people about Jesus, be ready for questions. Be ready for questions because they're coming. Another lesson that we can learn from Jesus. When the question comes, we have to discern one of two things. Is the question legitimate? Is it standing in the way of them coming to Christ? Or is it a distraction? When the question comes, this is what we need to know. Are they trying to distract from me talking about God? Or do they have a legitimate question that's standing in the way of them coming to faith? In this case, this is a legitimate question, and Jesus answers the question. Now, maybe he was just answering the question for you and for me, but he answers her. Jesus said to her, woman, now, it's, it's no small thing that Jesus answers her. I think the numbers are something along the lines of, throughout the text, Jesus was asked 384 questions throughout the Gospels, right? He answered four of them directly. He, he's always asking questions when he's given a question. He, he, he sidesteps. He, he teaches instead of answering the question. He's ne- he doesn't usually answer a question. He answers the question. So this is no small thing to say he actually answered the question. It's significant. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is from the Jews. It's a legit question. It's a legit question. So here's what she's asking. The Jews had their temple up in Jerusalem. The Samaritans built another temple over here in Samaria because the Samaritans weren't allowed to go to Jerusalem to worship. And so they built their own place of worship. So now they've got two places to worship. And so she's asking, do I go here and worship or do I go there and worship? Do I go here and worship and do I go there and worship? And Jesus says, listen, it doesn't matter. It, it, true worshipers aren't going to worship here. They're not going to worship there. I don't care how big of a building you've got, how small of a building you've got, whether you're in a building, or you're, whether you're in a tent. I don't care if you pull up by a stream or worship under a tree. Whatever you want to do, it had, none of that matters. None of it matters. What matters is if you worship me with a true heart. Worship me in the trueness of who you are. And worship by the Spirit. Worship in the Spirit. Worship by the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in worship. I love to worship, and I worship all the time, and I'll put worship music on all the time. But one thing that I don't like to do is I don't like to put on worship music as background music because I don't ever want to become complacent to the point where I have music going and I'm not moved to the point of worship. See, because worship is more than just about playing music or it's more than, it's actually about positioning your heart in a place of giving adoration to God. And I don't ever want to put worship music on and not come to this place of pouring out my love and adoration on God. I don't want to do that. Now, I will put on worship music and I'll be cleaning the house, mowing the lawn, working in the garden, pouring out my adoration on God. I find that when company's coming over, I actually have to stop worshiping God so that I can have a conversation with people. 
because I'd really much rather talk to him than any of you. No offense. He's a lot more interesting than you are. Don't you think so? Come on. My heart in worship, I, I will be distracted from anything when I'm worshiping. We have to size up the question when it comes. I want to tell you, one of the things that you want to be sure not to do when you're talking to somebody and you're trying to lead them to Christ is don't get into a deep theological discussion. It never ends well. You don't bring them any closer to the Lord. I was going into the Home Depot one time, I was coming out. I was coming out of the Home Depot one time, and this guy was going in, and he was complaining out loud. My grandfather used to talk to himself, mumble. No, this guy was complaining out loud. He was all, this, you know, the house and blah, this and that. Something was broken. He had to fix it. He wasn't happy. He's complaining out loud. I just take that as a sign that Jesus wants me to talk to him because he's talking out loud in, within range where I can hear him clearly with my ears. I'm like, okay, Jesus, here we go. I'm ready. I'm taking it that you want me to talk to him, so here we go. So I, I engage him, and I'm like, hey, listen, you know, when we get to heaven, it'll all be okay. None of that will matter. That was my, my lead-in. He's talking about broken stuff, and I said, when we get to heaven, it's all going to be okay. None of that will matter. That was my lead-in. To which he responds and says, well, if I make it there, you know, only 144,000 of us are going. So, <laughs> right, and so I took the bait and I began a theological discussion with this guy that went no place good, no place good at all. So in case you're not aware, that's Jehovah Witness right there, right? If that's what they're believing, that's where, that's where we're at. I don't want to engage that kind of theological discussion because I, that's not where the victory's at. What I need to do is I need to just continue to pour out the love of God here in this situation, Redirect him back to the idea of heaven. Don't engage in the theological discussion because you won't win it. Bring the love of God. So you're going to get questions. You're going to get these comments. Don't engage in theological things. There, there's a lot of things that just, they won't bear merit. Well, what do you think about end times? Okay, Size up that question. Are you not coming to the Lord because of your question about end times? Or are you just looking to try and distract me because you know a little bit and you're just trying to figure out what I believe? Here's my, here's my quick answer about end times. I don't care what you believe about end times. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? You can believe whatever you want. You can believe pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. Premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. You can believe anything you want. Post-trip, no-trip. Go ahead. That's fine. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? And are you ready? Are you ready? Well, let's go right back to the main point here. Are you ready? Are you ready? If he, could, if, if he were to split the sky right now, are you ready? He could do it. I believe he could do it right now. Today could be the last day of, for us on planet Earth. Could be. I don't think it's probable, but it's possible. I don't know. I just live ready. I choose to live ready. 
But the hour is coming and now is where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Messiah is the Jewish, uh, the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word. Same word. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so for the first time in his entire ministry, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the Christ. He's like, yo, I'm that guy. <laughs> You've been waiting for him. I'm here. This is how I know all this. This is, how I'm, this is what I'm telling you. I've got the living water. You can have it. At this point, the disciples come. And they marveled that she, he talked with a woman, yet no one asked him, what do you seek, or why were you talking with her? The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they all went out of the city, and they came to him. She's obviously moved. She leaves her car. She leaves her car. She left her water pot. The water pot... You know, we think, oh, it's a pot. She left the pot. No, the water pot is very valuable. It's very valuable. If I walked out of here after service and there's a car running in the parking lot, no thanks. If I walked out of the, the, the building after service and there's a car running in the parking lot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, something's talking over here. I'm going to be like, whose car is this? It's got to be one of my friend's cars. Whose car is this? She left something valuable here. She was moved by this conversation. Something extraordinary took place. I'm going to find out whose car that is. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to take the keys. I'm going to lock the door so that nobody breaks into it. Nobody steals it. Nobody takes it. Because I love you guys. I don't want your stuff stolen. She went into the city and she told them, could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, did you bring him something to eat? Did you bring him something to eat? Jesus is like, I've got food to eat that you have no idea about. Guys, there is spiritual food for us. There is spiritual food that you can eat, and you eat that food by telling others about Christ. How many of you are hungry? Anybody hungry in here? You know, if you don't eat for 40 days, do you know that that hunger reflex goes away? It actually doesn't take 40 days. It takes about three, some well, maybe a little bit longer, four or five days. After four or five days of not eating, you're no longer hungry. It doesn't mean your, your body no longer needs nourishment. You just forgot about eating. Jesus is eating spiritual food because he's doing the will of the Father. He's talking about, he's sharing the gospel. He is eating the food, the spiritual food. Some of us have no appetite to share the word of God because we've never shared the word of God. So that appetite hasn't been stirred, it hasn't been started. 
We need to pray that God would put a spiritual hunger in us to, to share the word, and then we can eat. And I'm telling you guys, when we eat spiritual food, it's way more satisfying than eating natural food. And this is what Jesus is saying. Don't trust me. Don't trust my words for it. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> and the disciples are, are like, did you bring him something to eat? Did you get him something to eat already? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, the harvest is ripe. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and that he who reaps may rejoice together. I'm here to tell you guys, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. People are hungry for God. People want to know more about God, and you have the answer. You've been given the answer. You've been given the authority. You've been given the responsibility to tell others about Christ. They're hungry. They want to know. And you need to tell them. We need to tell them. You and I. If you don't do it and I don't do it, it doesn't get done. It's, your, it's our job. God won't do your part. And you can't do his part. He'll pull their hearts close to him. But you've got to speak the words so that they can respond. And then when they respond, it's actually him who did the work anyways. But we get to help him with it. But the beauty is that God refuses to do our part without us. It is a beautiful thing. The harvest is ripe. For in this, the saying is true, one sows and another reap. And I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored and others have labored. And you have entered into their labors. Guys, sometimes when we're talking to someone about Christ... They just come. They, they're just like, yeah, I want to go to church. Yeah, I, I want to know Jesus. It's low-hanging fruit. Sometimes it's just easy. Sometimes it's just easy. This is what we're talking about. Someone else did all the work, and you're just going to be picking the fruit. You're just going to be saying like, hey, come to church. They're going to be like, yeah, let me in. It's great. Sometimes we're going to have to do some more work. Sometimes it's going to be harder. Sometimes we sow and sow and sow and we don't see the reaping. But I believe that we're coming into a season, especially in the next few months, where we're going to begin to see reaping. So get ready and just start reaping. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word that the woman testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him... They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And then, the, then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, when we, if we go back just a couple, it says many of the Samaritans believe because of the word that the woman testified. And so because of her testimony, because of what she said about what Jesus did, many believed. And then even more believed when they heard his words too. 
So when you go out and share your testimony, some people are going to believe. And then others aren't going to believe until they come and they're here in the presence of God and they sense the presence of God in this place. I'm not saying it's me. They sense the presence of God in this place and then they'll believe. So whether they believe out there or whether they believe in here, it doesn't matter. What matters is that they came, that they believe, and that now they follow Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And so here are just a few different things that we can learn from Jesus Ask questions. Learn to ask good questions. Set our expectations correctly, right? Anytime we enter into a conversation with somebody, we have to have an expectation, number one, that they might, want, might get saved right there, but number two, we also have to have the expectation that they might not get saved right there. Because if we only have one expectation that they're gonna get saved right there, then we become pushy. And we don't ever wanna do that. But if we have our expectations set correctly, then when we're sharing the love of God, when we're sharing the good news, when we're sharing the extraordinary love of God, and they put up defenses and they're like, no, I'm not ready, then we can just back away and say, hey, I'm just sowing seed. We can say to ourselves, I'm sowing seed. I'm going to let that sit. I'm going to let that marinate. I'm going to let that seed get down into that crack. Because when the seed gets down into the crack, trees break rocks. When the seed gets down into the crack, trees break rocks. And so sometimes we're planting seeds. But how many of you know that trees need to be many years old before they begin to break rocks sometimes? Don't ever despise the day of throwing some seed on some rock. Don't ever. I'm just going to, I'm a seed thrower. I throw seed everywhere as I go. And whether or not I see fruit, I don't care. I just keep throwing seed. I don't not throw seed because I know that the ground is stony and hard. The parable of the sower, there was some seed that fell on the rocky ground. There was some seed that fell on the stony ground. I'm not going to not throw seed because the ground is bad. I'm going to throw seed anyways. Because who knows that a seed might get into a crack and it might break up that rock and create some more fertile soil to be able to receive the love of God. So I just want to encourage you today, all throughout the week, share God's love, share God's love extravagantly, share God's love um, as often and as much as you can. Um, this week, go out and share. And when you come back next week, we have our testimonies on the card. Write down your testimony. I shared Jesus and this happened. I shared Jesus this week. I walked across the room and this happened. I walked across the room and that happened. I, wanna, I want testimonies because God is on the move and God is doing things and we want to talk about how good he is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. God, for encouraging us to just be uh, those who would share your love with others. God, help us to show, help us to share from a true heart. God, help us to share the trueness of who you are. God, we give you our days, and we ask that you would just come with us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, and that, God, that you would have your way in our lives. God, lead us to those who are ready to come to Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.